1: Well, by now you know what that music means. Welcome to the show, ridiculous historians. It's uh, hopefully your favorite non-history experts coming to you relatively live from our respective bunkers yet again. Hi, my name's Ben. What does it mean, Ben? What does it mean? The music. <laughs> it means that our show is still on. Noel, we're we're recording an episode now, and I gotta say, uh, we are we are upping our camera game. All three of us look pretty great from what I can see on the
0: screens. Yeah, well, it's the parts that you can't see on the screen that should concern you, my friend. (laughs) There we go. Maybe concern is a strong word, but, you know, working from home is a a slippery slope. You know, putting on pants really does become optional. Yep, yep, agreed.
1: As a matter of fact, I was talking to one of my friends who is a a no-fool and kind of productivity expert, and one of her big recommendations for people working from home is that when you wake up in the morning, you go ahead and get dressed like you're going somewhere. It kind of primes your brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've, I've had a hard time with that. I
0: don't know I've, about you. I've, I've been rocking more of like a, sort of a sweatsuit situation, mm. um, and I've been starting my day off with a nice walk, uh, and so it's appropriate, the sweatsuit for that, but then I just keep it on for the rest of the day.
1: Is that weird? No, no, not at all, man. Not that at pregnant all. pregnant pause, fact,
0: Ben. That pregnant pause. I hope that was just the lag
1: in our communication because I, I was going to say, you know, you're really doing a favor for the sweatsuit industry, because if they if people on the street see Noel Brown rocking a sweatsuit, their first question is immediately going to be what? How can I get one? So you're welcome, sweatsuits.
0: Hey, uh, thank you, Ben, for giving me that uh, that confidence boost. I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> so uh, I I was thinking of a uh, an interesting segue in here, uh, and I wanted to see what you and our super producer, Casey Pegram, thought about this. A lot of people, now that we're at home or self-isolating, a lot of us have been cooking more and more. You've been cooking, Noel. I've been cooking. Uh, Casey, I don't know. Have you you been uh, trying your hand at the pot in the pan? Uh,
3: My cooking repertoire consists of uh, such delicacies as frozen pizzas. Let's see what else. (laughs) We got some Eggo waffles in the mix. We got some wings. We did wings the other night. Uh, but no, my girlfriend is a great cook. And so she's been handling most of the duties. I help out where I can, but she's the expert. Well, that's nice. nice.
1: You know, we, we, all have our strengths mm-hmm. and we can all agree that whether you consider yourself a, uh, a top notch chef or an amateur or just a cooking enthusiast, people love, uh, people love food and wherever you go in the world, that's one of the topics that you can easily talk to anyone about, regardless of your cultural differences. Here in the United States, we've had a very old saying for a long time, which is the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, we, you know, we've all like heard of that before, I'm sure. But today's show actually does concern sliced bread.
0: Isn't that right? It is right. But I got a bone to pick with this whole concept. Is slicing bread really that hard? With a with a nice serrated knife, they make a thing called a bread knife. It's literally part of any good cutlery uh, uh, arrangement. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's not. I think it's not so much that it's hard. As much as people are, are thinking, you know, this is time-consuming. I'm I'm nickel and diming away my precious seconds of life. You know,
0: yeah, sort of like the argument uh, Gilbert Godfrey makes about the shoudini, You know, all the time you're wasting putting on your shoes, like a regular <laughs> person, one foot at a time. You could be, you could be like, you know, curing. Uh, too soon. Um, you could be doing something productive with that time. <laughs>
1: There we go. Good save. So today's story is so weird. We're, we're going to go ahead and uh, give you the, the big scoop, the lay of the land. Uh, as as any longtime listener knows, you can get a lot of spoilers from checking out our titles and our descriptions. This is a story about that time the U.S. government banned sliced bread. And it's it's a weird journey.
0: It's a journey that begins around uh, 1928 um, with a jeweler from Missouri by the name of Otto F. Rawweder. Rawweder? I don't know. I'm going to go with Waiter. What do you think, Ben? I went with Rawwaiter.
1: So if we, oh. if, we, if we split the difference, at some point, we will, at, at the very least, accidentally get the name right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Our pronunciation powers or lack thereof combined. Um, but yeah, this gentleman, um, he saw a need. He saw a need that needed filling. Um, he was overhearing, you know, uh, homemakers um, in his jewelry store complaining about just how difficult it was to slice bread and how much they hated it. It was just the thing they just looked forward to the least, and and what a what a hassle uh, of American life it was to to cut bread. Um, so he he looked at this and took it very seriously, and he saw a uh, an opportunity for innovation. Um, and he invented a uh, delightful gadget known as the automatic bread slicing machine and became something of, a, of an American hero, at least in, in the kitchen. But a little background about about our boy Otto. Uh, I'm going to just call him Otto so I don't even have to mess with that pronunciation ever again. Otto was, uh, he was a bit of a renaissance man. He was an ophthalmologist who decided to get into the jewelry game, and he owned not one, not two, but three jeweler stores in St. Joseph, Missouri, Missouri. Can you only say Missouri if you're from there? That seems uh, f- accurate. What do you think, Ben? I don't know.
1: It's kind of like how people from uh, Nevada say Nevada. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if it's something you have to earn. You're, yep. you're right. You're right, though, Noel. Uh, Rowetter was a, a trained ophthalmologist who went into jewelry for the money, and historians speculate that while he was selling earrings and necklaces he overheard customers talking doing something like you would see at the beginning of a lot of tv infomercials now where like picture <laughs> picture someone trying to slice bread and the bread falls to the floor in the kitchen and they
0: drop the knife if only there a, were another one. <laughs> yes, there's got to
1: be a better way. Uh, he t- tapped into that, really. No fooling. And we know that as early as 1912, he had built out a prototype for what would become his automatic bread slicer. And his big question was, he was like, well, wh- what do we mean when we say a slice? What's the difference between a slice of bread and a slab of bread or a sliver of bread? So he did something very smart. He made a questionnaire, like a survey, and instead of handing it out to people in person, he paid to get it published in several newspapers in the region and the country. And then in just a few months, more than 30,000 people responded and let him know where they fell along the, uh, the controversial issue of Thick. Or thin slices.
0: Well, I have a question. Why can't they do it like they do with those deli slicer machines, where you can pick your thickness? It's a variable thickness. Is that too much to ask? Auto, you only get one thickness. Yeah,
1: wouldn't it be neat to have a, a dial on the machine? You know, like how you can you can uh, decide how toasted your toast is in a lot yeah. of toasters. You know, that's right. Well, unfortunately for him, we weren't there. Or maybe no, the
0: technology wasn't there yet. I think the technology might not have been there. So it's true. More than 30,000 housewives responded uh, and indicated that they wanted a, a bread slice that was neither too thick nor too thin. Sort of a Goldilocks bread slice. It mm-hmm. was just right. Although that is kind of relative, isn't it?
1: I guess so. I guess so. So probably what he did was take like the, the biggest group consensus and went with that because we know he, he, for some reason, couldn't make a variable bread slicing machine. And he went all in, dude, like four years later, just it was at 1916. He has sold off his entire jewelry business. He's taken the winnings from that. He got a workshop in an abandoned warehouse and he started trying to make his bread slicer. But something terrible
0: happened the very next year. It's true. Disaster struck in 1917 in the form of a warehouse fire that uh, engulfed and flamed his prototype, along with all of his uh, early drawings and blueprints, uh, and all of the time that he had invested into this endeavor. But he he was uh, he was un, uh, unshaken, unflapped, and he got back to work, even though he was set back like almost a decade. Which to me would I don't know I would move on. Uh, maybe, I don't know. It, it, it's the whole sunken cost fallacy thing. But he really believed in this product. Uh, so in 1928, he had had you know made up for all this lost time. You got to think that he, he had to have learned some lessons from it, even if they were just filed away in his memory banks, right? Uh, it wouldn't have been all for naught. Uh, but he got back on his feet in 1928, and he had a fully working machine, not a prototype, the real deal. Uh, and not only did it slice bread, But it wrapped it as well. Did we talk about the original expression that led to the best thing since sliced bread? We haven't yet. Lay it on us. Yeah, the original expression was the best thing since wrapped bread. So (laughs) his thing was like the the best best thing, the double best thing, because it could wrap bread and slice bread. Mm -hmm. But you couldn't pick a variable thickness. You think you would have taken that 10 years to come up with that. I'm sorry. I'm going to leave Otto alone. He's suffered enough.
1: There's a lot of soul searching that he went through, you know, and good, good for him. It reminds me of that Rudyard Kipling poem, If, uh, which is Rudyard Kipling's a terrible person, but my God, that's a great poem. Uh, So you're right. We know that he did successfully after a total of 14, 15 years of struggle. He did get his machine on the market. And the first ever pre-sliced loaf of bread went on sale on July 7th, 1928, when Frank Bench, who was a guy who knew Rowetter personally, took a chance. He bought a bread slicing machine and he installed it at his baking company in Missouri. The original name was Sliced Clean Made Bread. That's clean spelled K L. E
0: E N. God, I, I love that. I love it when people take a word and for just no real reason spell it with a K or a Q or a Z. I don't know, man.
1: It freaks me out. Like I've, you know, here in the South, you can find a lot of uh, little little mom and pop restaurants that call themselves some variety of like country cooking with two K's, yeah. and that always right. weirded me out. I don't trust it. I don't know why, but I
0: don't. There's a place around the corner for me uh, called Duck Corner Cafe. And the corner is spelled with a K and cafe is spelled with a K inexplicably. Like, <laughs> do, are they trying to communicate some level of quirkiness that's going to I translate it to their food? Like, oh, yeah, I want a quirky uh, breakfast sandwich. You know,
1: I no, I'm right there with you. I, had, uh, I remember it has nothing to do with the episode, but I remember uh, growing up. Some of my more conspiratorially minded friends would be like, hey, Ben, all the businesses that put those K's in there—they're signaling that they're uh, they're pro Ku Klux Klan, and that seemed like a reach. That's like that old conspiracy about the band 311. You remember that one?
0: Well, 311 was an inside job, <laughs> right? Uh, and that's an Eric Andre ripoff. I didn't make that up. <laughs> Can, please <laughs> what- go on. No, what? what no, that, that, that it's that it was uh, KKK, eleventh letter, yeah. three times. Yeah, three I, eleven's I, about the least white super. They're just a bunch of white dudes trying to play reggae. I mean, that might be a little <laughs> culturally appropriative, but I don't think it's uh, uh, terroristic.
1: Yeah, I think it's safe to say at least you have you have the official word from us here at Ridiculous History. Uh, we are ninety eight percent sure three eleven is not a front for <laughs> for the Ku Klux Klan. So- let's
0: put this let's put this to rest, Casey Pegram. What do you think three eleven terrorist or non terrorists
3: I was about to say, yes, um perhaps perhaps aesthetic terrorists, <laughs> but um no, I think I think their intentions are relatively pure, all right,
1: fair enough. oh, Casey on the case Dun. been a while since we did one of these. I miss it. Uh, so, like you said, that original statement uh, that uh, calling this bread the greatest forward step in the baking industry since bread was wrapped uh, came from an advertisement, but Apparently, people didn't cotton to it right off the jump. There's a fascinating book by an author named Don Voorhees called Why Do Donuts Have Holes? Fascinating facts about what we eat and drink. And according to Don, when these loaves were originally sold, people kind of didn't want to buy them because they thought they looked sloppy. They thought they looked, you know, kind of gross. They didn't look like neatly sliced and they also seem to go stale faster. Did you see that too, Noel? No,
0: but I know it to be true. And, and they also, well, I don't know. It depends. There's so many preservatives and loaf bread that you buy at the store now. If you do tend to buy a nice loaf of bread from a local baker, uh, it, which don't come pre-sliced, you can usually ask them to slice them for you. But um, those will go stale and or moldy quicker than a uh, store-bought loaf will because of all the preservatives. Oh, yeah. Good point. Rowetter still didn't give
1: up. And I think this is inspiring. Otto said, okay, they don't like they think my bread's sloppy. They think I got a lackluster loaf. I'll show them. And he he made these um pins. They're shaped like the capital letter U. And they would hold the loaf together so that when people went and saw it on the shelf, it would look, you know, uh more uniform less haphazard, and apparently that worked.
0: I see. So the issue with the sloppiness is more an optics thing on the shelf. Like look, you're looking in the bag of bread and it's all just willy-nilly, just kind of like, you know, a loaf is meant to be held together and it has this sort of very comforting kind of continuity to it. So this sort of preserved that continuity, right? Absolutely. But according to the Smithsonian Museum, uh,
1: the, the weird thing is, Now, the Smithsonian, by the way, does have one of Rowetter's original bread slicers, the second iteration. Anyway, according to the Smithsonian, some people were just, sloppiness or staleness aside, some people were just weirded out by the idea of pre-sliced bread. It it confused them. It startled them. Uh, A newspaper in 1928 said, quote, the use of sliced bread may be startling to some people. Certainly, it represents a definite departure from the usual manner of supplying the consumer with great loaves.
0: People don't like change. People fear change. It's so funny because now it's just, it's like, it's a cliche. The idea of saying the best thing since sliced bread, uh, sliced bread being like, one of the oldest innovations on the planet <laughs> and the most just like taken for granted thing on the world, right? Uh, if you go to this, I'm sorry, AmericanHistory.si.edu uh, article, the best loan since sliced bread by uh, Christina Ross, who's apparently an intern, a very scrappy intern, if I may say so, mm-hmm. from 2013. So she's likely not an intern anymore. But there is a picture of the first ever Rowetter bread slicing machine, um, and it is it is a really uh, serious piece of machinery. I mean, it's like an it's like a cotton gin or something. Like it's a a really hardcore industrial piece of equipment. This isn't something that you would like have in your living room. This is very much like a uh, a, a a tool of industry.
1: Yeah, it does not look like it's for the home kitchen. It also looks heavy as heck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's something that uh, there's something I think uh, the three of us really enjoyed here in the research. Um, Gabe pointed this out that. Since this seems so unfamiliar and alien to people, they actually took out ads that included, get this, instructions for how to operate the <laughs> loaf of bread. <laughs> Did you see these? No, 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 lay it on yeah. me, Ben. Okay, It's a three-step process. And this is verbatim from the ad. Number one, open wrapper at one end. Number two, pull out pin. That's that U-shaped pin. Number three. Remove as many slices as desired. I guess some people thought you could only pull out one slice at a time. Maybe some people, I don't know, man. Were people like opening both ends of the wrapper and just sort of like punching it through the cylinder? Anyway, we've all seen these weird instructions and products for stuff that kind of seems easy. Not to sound elitist, but... You know, uh, I don't know. Have you ever seen things that feel kind of like dummy instructions on things you buy?
0: You know, Ben, I have. But at the same time, I think we take for granted how dumb some people truly are.
1: Oh, yeah. I never take for granted how dumb I
0: am. uh, And I'm one of the dumbest people I know. Ben, that is not true. You need to give yourself more credit than my friend. I won't stand for it.
1: Oh, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I stand on the shoulders of giants.
0: This self-deprecating behavior will not stand, sir. <laughs>
1: Thanks. So uh, the thing is that the pin turned out to be a problem. And, we, you know, you'll look at your local your local loaf in your grocery store or your kitchen, and you'll notice that it does not, in fact, have two U-shaped pins holding the loaf together. Uh, people were having a problem because you would have to take the pin out take a slice of bread and and then put the pin back in. It was an extra step and people didn't really like it. So Rowetter modified the machine and now all the sliced loaves were just wrapped in wax paper. So it still solves the problem of them looking sloppy because nobody wants to just buy a pile of bread, I guess was the problem. But then it also takes that pin out. And I got to tell you, I, as you guys know, I'm real weird about, uh, metal touching food so i don't i think i honestly would have been one of those people who saw sliced bread in the store in the 1920s and thought no way this is
0: ungodly Mm -mm. and also all this talk of pulling out and putting back in pins make me think as loaves of bread were somehow like explosive or something i I don't know (laughs) like bread grenades (laughs) Uh, uh. yeah I think
1: it's an idea. Come on, man. Let's uh, bread grenades might be. You know what? People listening to this years from now might be like, God, those guys were pressing it. <laughs> no, no. Then the new the new
0: phrase will be the best thing since bread grenades. There we go. Put it on a t-shirt. Let's get some new t-shirts. I like that. I will if the printing shops ever open back up again. Oh uh,
1: gosh. Uh. Yeah. Well, at least in the story of Wetter, we know that he ultimately, after years of laborious loaf related labor found success and bread sales skyrocketed more and more people. People weren't just eating sliced bread. They were eating more bread in general than ever before. Like within five years after 1928, tons of bakeries across the United States had bread slicing machines and 80% of all of the bread produced in the entire country
0: came sliced it's true Uh, but I'll tell you Ben um, there's nothing like an innovation taking off and making people happy to get the government up in arms and ready to ban it (laughs) you are so
1: right my friend So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to
3: hear my voice and just forget their troubles.
2: Experience the music and her story. Know
3: this. I ain't no
2: spy girl. Like never before. That's
3: my daughter. That's
2: my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a Minute Without Parent, only in theaters May 17th. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a man. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at hypergig for details. Uh, fast forward,
1: 1943. People still love bread. 1943, everybody loves bread. They love it sliced, too. Except for there's one guy who's got a a beef with it. His name is Claude R. Wickard. He is the head of the War Foods Administration. He's also the Secretary of Agriculture. And on January 18th, 1943, for some reason, he
0: bans pre-sliced bread. He had a beef with pre-sliced bread. He was old school. (laughs) <laughs> you know he maybe he didn't like metal either it's really unclear let's see if we can get to the bottom of why he had such a problem uh yeah he did that on january 18th of 1943 the specific reasons they're not clear at all That's not even now issue. not even now uh it's it's a total mystery uh they there's speculation that um he felt as though it was a matter of conserving uh resources during wartime Right? Because he was the War Foods Administration. So he claimed that it was something to do with conserving uh, wax paper, wheat, and steel.
1: Yeah. Okay. So this is weird. This is some real Grinch level thinking. And this guy was kind of playing a Grinch, whatever his motivations were. So the War Food Administration was created entirely to make sure. There was enough food to feed the civilian population and enough food to feed the military abroad. And they wanted to prevent food waste. Food waste is still a huge problem here in 2020. So Claude says, you know what? My beef with sliced bread is that people like it too much and it's too easy for people to eat as much as they want. So banning sliced bread makes the loaf a little more inconvenient But that wasn't enough for him. He also made a very strange authoritarian law for local bakeries. And this one, this one is massively irritating to me.
0: Yeah, it's true. Um, He said that local bakeries could not sell their bread, their unsliced bread, until it was 12 hours old. Gross. So wait, so you're like legally mandating us and then by us i mean the royal us the us of the time uh to stale day old bread which usually you buy at a discount i mean bread is meant to be you know obviously like i said with the preservatives of the stuff you buy in the store certainly you could never expect it to be like you know fresh out of the oven but if you're buying it at a bakery you want it fresh out of the oven damn it
1: right you want that you want that fluffy fresh taste the reason that they Put in this crazy law is that Uncle Sam thought if bread was if all the bread you were going to buy was going to be stale, then people would stop buying as much. And maybe they would even resort to baking their own bread at home or give it up entirely, meaning there was more uh, more wheat, more grain, more bread to circulate in the wartime population. That's so
0: messed up, man. It seems to really target small businesses, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's literally trying to cripple them and their supply chain, Uh, which, I mean, whatever, you know, desperate times and all that. But it seems a little draconian, don't you think?
1: I 100 percent agree. Uh, We still like, as we just said, we still don't fully understand uh, the ban, but we know that it might have come because. Uh, there was a 10% rise in the price of flour anyway. It's strange. Um, you can see the logic, right? They thought that they would be able to incentivize people to eat less bread and consume less flour. But what, what about the wax paper conservation? So pre-sliced bread had to use wax paper that was way thicker than the loaves that were sold whole And that was because, you know, again, they were trying to preserve the freshness and keep it
0: from growing stale. So that was wrapped in wax paper? So it wasn't like in a plastic sleeve like we see today with a bread tie. It was literally the whole thing was just wrapped in wax paper?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That replaced the pin. And, and, you know, other unsliced loaves also had wax paper, but they had much thinner wax paper. Uh, And so the thing that's weird about this is that bread companies already had a a ton of wax paper supplies they're like those people who hoard toilet paper they had enough wax paper to keep them wrapping loaves for months and months even if they didn't buy anything else so it really seems like there wasn't a, a big thing to like a big benefit to gain from banning wax paper the wheat flour argument makes a little bit more sense But even that doesn't check out. I mean, this this is why some historians say it was maybe more an issue of conserving metal, because like you said, Noel, those electric bread slicing machines are heavy duty, huh?
0: Mm, That's true. I mean, they really do almost look like a implement of war. You could probably make, you know, uh, a handful of machine guns, you know, uh, with the materials you would use to make one bread slicing machine. And at the end of the day, isn't it just kind of a luxury you know, I'm trying to see both sides here. Like, there's really nothing about... Uh, if anything, I would think maybe slicing bread does make it go bad quicker uh, because there's more touch points, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and every time you reach in there, you're touching the bread. I don't know. I, I'm overthinking this. But I do think that, you know, sliced bread is a luxury. And even today, sure, I guess it's convenient. But when I buy my bread from the uh, baker or like a baguette or something, I don't get it pre-sliced. I slice it my damn self.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to... I, I tend to like the uh, bakery bread more than the sliced bread on the shelf, not to be elitist or something, but it's just like if I have the opportunity, then I'll try to get what in my head I call the good bread. You know what? Everybody has something like that. Yeah, a good steamy loaf. (laughs) A good steamy loaf. Uh, In context, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Out of context- Oh, I wonder if something else entirely. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if that clip's going to come back to haunt us the way that this policy came back to haunt Claude Wickard. God, you're good at these, Ben. (laughs) Segues, that is. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, It's true, though, isn't it? Like, even though we can guess at what he was trying to do, it really looks like he was just trying to save a couple pennies in the budget and he had to pay a grievous price for this because
0: people did not take this well. Oh yeah, that's putting it lightly I mean, it was, you know People don't like to have the things taken away from them That they uh, are have, have become accustomed to That in their minds is uh, is a, uh, a natural born right and The right to sliced bread Everybody remembers that one from the Constitution um, But no, at the very least It was incredibly unpopular On January 26th uh, Sue Forrester um, Who is uh, a woman from Fair- Fairfield, Connecticut Wrote a letter to the editor in the Times The New York Times Um, And she was speaking on behalf of all of the country's housewives We have uh, have this from an article from Mental Floss uh, The time U.S. government banned sliced bread And she says, I quote I should like to let you know how important sliced bread is to the morale and saneness of a household Uh, Okay, okay The morale and saneness of a household They really didn't like slicing that bread, did they? Yeah. Yeah. And uh,
1: they go into detail about this. Sue Forrester says she's been forced to hand cut more than 30 slices of bread every day for her family. She says this is a waste of American time and energy. And it's also a waste of money uh, because, you know, she says a good bread knife is difficult to find, let alone afford during the war. And that's Not to mention uh, a good man. There we go, right? Oh, what about our marriage prospects? So So, people got as mad at this ban as they did at things like gasoline rationing. We have an account from a 1943 issue of Time where they, they have the following excerpt. U.S. Housewives, says Time, vainly search for grandmother's serrated bread knife. Routed sleepy husbands out of bed, held dawn conferences over bakery handouts, which read like a golf lesson: "Keep your head down, keep your eye on the loaf, and don't bear down." They were the time was basically saying a bunch of people had forgotten
0: how to slice a loaf of bread. I, I think we buried the loaf here. Keep your eye on the loaf. Yeah, that's just that is some uh, some very powerful uh, rhetoric right there. Um, it really it's got me all. Full of fervor and uh, patriotism.
1: Yeah, and this this is interesting because this leads us to the saying that we all know today. Because of this ban, people started referring
0: to things as the best thing since sliced bread. That's true. Nothing will make you appreciate something more than when it's taken away from you. And the New York Times published... Uh, that m- more than one letter uh, from other very um, uh, crestfallen housewives, homemakers, uh, and it really became kind of part of the zeitgeist that this was a-, a real a real blow to morale during a very difficult time already. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's in fact it was it was so unpopular that no one in the U.S. government. Wanted to confess to having the idea or supporting it. So Claude Wickard was uh, really caught out there, you know, he was going to be uh, the, the scapegoat in this situation.
0: Oh, and okay, all, all of my trash talk about bread slicing, I, I want to walk that back a little bit. I am not a head of household with multiple children uh, that has to be responsible for meal prep. And let's not forget the sandwich, the humble sandwich, was kind of the uh, uh, the the centerpiece for a lot of these uh, grab-and-go meals. So let's get a little deeper into this uh, letter to the editor from our uh, Connecticut housewife. She goes on to say... My husband and four children are all in a rush before, during, and after breakfast. Without ready-sliced bread, I must do the slicing for toast. Two pieces for each one. That's ten. For their lunches, I must cut by hand at least twenty slices. For two sandwiches apiece. They get two sandwiches apiece. That's, that's intense. Yeah, it was a different time. It really was. Afterward, I make my own toast. Uh, Twenty-two slices of bread to be cut in a hurry. They look less appetizing than the baker's neat, even pieces. Haven't the bakers already their bread-slicing machines? And for thousands of loaves? Yeah, and she's coming from a real, sincere, upset place. Like you said, I she's know. she's not the only one. I didn't think about the numbers. I didn't think about the math behind this. That's a lot of bread slicing. It, and the numbers add up really
1: quickly. All right. <laughs> so... Another thing that made this rule so unpopular was that it caught everybody by surprise. The Chicago Tribune reported the governmental ban on the sale of sliced bread effective yesterday caught hundreds of Chicago housewives by surprise and sent them scurrying to hardware stores to raid depleted supplies of bread knives. I don't know why he sounds like that, but that's the guy.
0: Oh, no, it's absolutely the guy I remember. I remember the newscasts. (laughs)
1: Now there were some there were some uh some loopholes, so hotels, restaurants, and railroad dining cars were given a sixty day grace period uh, to prepare. Bakeries that didn't play ball or toe the line got hit with uh, some pretty steep fines, and they were warned that the government was prepared to take stern measures if necessary, but some other uh, some other proponents seemed like they they quickly regretted their decision. Uh, that's where we gotta we gotta mention this one guy just because I love his name, Emil Fink.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I bet he got a bad rap for like being like a scoundrel. You know, you, you can't have a last name like that and and and, and uh, emerge unscathed. Yes, Emil Fink. He was a baker. Uh, and also a member of the New York City Bakers Advisory Committee. And actually, he was kind of the villain here. He's the one who pushed hard for the bread slicing ban. But a, a year later, Fink found himself in a courtroom for, get this, slicing bread. Ooh, bad look. Talk movie. about a hippo- hypocrite. Bad look. Yeah. Uh the New York Times reported um, that a U.S. attorney read Fink the Riot Act and and, and uh, said Fink called upon the government to enforce the regulation rigidly, and at the very time his bakery was violating the law, he was fined a thousand dollars. You want to inflation calculate that, B boy? I'm gonna say. Let's see. Let's see. So, uh,
1: Casey, if we could get a drum roll, please. $1,000 in 1944 is equal to... $14,697 $14,697 Whoa! and 61 cents
0: today. I was way off. I was way off. And that's a pretty steep uh, penalty, but I think he had it coming for that, uh, that most egregious sin of hypocrisy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and Baker, like it makes you think that Fink had guy. I feel bad. I feel like it's nominative determinism to call him Fink. Totally. <laughs> but, but it feels like, It feels like his angle was that he wanted to make sure he was one of the only bakeries selling sliced bread to get ahead. He was trying to make a vig, I think. Despicable. Despicable. But the ban wasn't even saving money at all like bakers were losing cash because of this oh yeah it's true
0: the sales were dropping in the neighborhood of five as much as 10 percent according to the harrisburg telegraph Uh, there's a quote from that article from 1943 in february uh while all bakers have varied reasons for the prevailing decrease they all agree that the absence of sliced bread is at least playing some part in the drop uh where's our boy Otto in all of this That's a great question because Otto was very
1: much alive. He lived until November 8th, 1960. So he definitely had, I'm I'm sure he had strong thoughts about this. He was, you know, this was his career. He sold the patent to his invention to another company. Like he, He was doing pretty well off. So he definitely had a race in the game, but he had already made his nickels by the time this this kicks in that's right is that a did i make that up is that a thing people say make your nickels
0: no that's a thing but i'll tell you what isn't a thing is he already had his race in the game
1: <laughs> did I, I think say you that? were
0: i think you were combining skin in the game with horse <laughs> in the race oh man race you know in the let's game keep, let's keep oh, it I, I love it no no i, I think we should uh, use that that should be our new thing he already had a race in the game i really really <laughs> like that a lot actually
1: Oh, thanks, man! I, thanks for the catch. It's it's wild over here, folks.
0: No worries, dude. Hey, we got to keep each other honest while we're slowly losing our mind in isolation. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: well, hopefully, it will be to the enjoyment of you, dear, dear ridiculous historians. Uh, we have a little bit. We have a little bit more to add here, which is that the ban was thankfully lifted only three months after it went into law. Right? It was like uh march in 1943
0: i want to say that's right um it was lifted and uh there was a a public statement made uh from the war production board uh and it actually you know to its credit kind of copped to the thing being a a a failure uh saying quote savings are not as much as were expected Oh,, leaving it at that. Uh, and that there was enough wax paper to go around and wrap <laughs> sliced bread uh, for four months. So mm-hmm. you know, bully for them for sort of owning their uh, their debacle.
1: So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
2: Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear
3: my voice and just forget their troubles.
2: Experience the music and her story. Know
3: this. I ain't no
2: spy, girl. Like never before. That's
3: my daughter. That's
2: my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R under 17, Without Parent, only in theaters May 17th. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber live like a gig Available wherever you'll get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com/hypergig for details.
1: You know, if we could, I think a good place to uh, put a button and a bow on this story is a great headline from the New York Times. When when the ban was lifted, the New York Times published an article reading sliced bread, put back on sale. Housewives, thumbs safe again.
0: Thank God. Thank God. Think of the thumbs, all the thumbs. Oh, yeah. At the very least, they're getting nicked left and right. Uh, I would love to see some statistics about how many outright uh, severed thumbs occurred at the hands of uh, unsliced bread. I mean, that that slice math really gets to you. You know, I'm glad you put
1: that in. Oh, I want to say before we end today's episode, guys, I want to do a clarification. because You know, credit where credit's due is very important to me. And earlier uh, in a previous episode, we went on this delightful little run of Quentin Tarantino based quarantine puns. You You remember that?
0: I'm going to be real with you guys. They weren't very good. <laughs> Can we do better this time? Can we raise it, the bar?
1: Well, I wanted to credit uh, one of our friends on Twitter because you guys said, oh, Quentin Quarantino is pretty good. That one's good. That one's it good. got me thinking, and I was like, did I make that up? Because that's really good for someone like me to make up on the fly, and I wanted to give a shout-out. I think I found this and just act, like misremembered it on Twitter. We have a Twitter friend who goes by the handle Quentin Quarantino. So Kelty, at Kelty underscore, if you're out there, thank you so much. When I, I wanted to give you credit where credit was due because uh, I, I think it just got stuck in my head. I love that name.
0: It happens. And that's true. Um, well, thank you so much, Kelsey. Is it Kelsey and you just developed a lisp all of a sudden or is it? No. Nope. No. Kelthy, okay, Kelthy. That's interesting. It makes me feel like I'm speaking with a list. Well, this was a fun episode, Ben. Uh, can we take a minute? Uh, I don't know. I just have this idea uh, to to grab, find an object that's around you somewhere in your workspace and describe it to the listeners.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Here, um, let's see
0: uh i'm in a weird spot uh why do you want to do the honors yeah i got i got i've got i've got one just in mind it's something i bought at a a cheapo dollar store it's a wwf or e uh, uh miniature figures and they're like little mini wrestlers just jake the snake and the ultimate warrior and this guy wearing chains and they're all completely flesh nude colored here let me show you guys so you can actually see oh nice But they're called muscle, but it's an acronym. And you know how much I love acronyms? So there's a dot between every one of these letters, and it stands for millions of unusual small creatures lurking everywhere. That's not sinister at all.
1: They didn't. uh, So it sounds like the O is not part of the acronym there.
0: The yeah they often leave the O. It's usually only the capitalized letters in a in a yeah. title, right? The O is and yeah. there's a word for it, but yeah. Okay, so that's my object.
1: Okay, I've got I've got something uh that I just dug up that I think you'll you'll like here, uh, Noel. I have uh I've been cleaning up a bunch of stuff and I found how weirdly synchronistic is this? I found my old shoebox of muscle men. Do you remember these guys? Muscle men, yeah, you know what I'm talking about.
0: Are they kind of like
1: my little muscle guys?
2: Yeah. They're, they're exactly like the, the same.
1: School, I think they might be the same. There's This is an old school kind of toy. I think some of our listeners will remember. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Had,
0: yeah. I but they're nude colored. They're flesh color. They're all flesh colored, just like my little guys.
1: Yeah. Oh, I've got some that are like, I don't know what color this is, but I've got That's some. That's blue. That are like that. oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I've got some knockoff ones. That's so weird that we both have
0: that's really funny and they're they're the they're the most useless little toys they don't bend or pose they're really just kind of choking hazards is what they are really yeah but they're stylish
1: uh i thought that would be more fun than looking at the uh the hydrated food i have (laughs) that we uh we recorded another show today uh folks for stuff that want you to know with our ride or dies paul mission control and uh matt frederick uh, where we were we were talking about some of the things in our in our quarantine zones, but that's a fun game, man. You wanna you wanna make that a regular thing?
0: I don't know. It's just kind of fun to humanize our our spaces and show that we're just nerds like everybody else, and that we are, have a uh, cluttered, uh, uh, messy uh, desks just like every just like everybody else. Casey, did you find anything in your closet space?
3: All right. Well, this space is primarily for books and movies and camera equipment so I don't really have anything endearing like a a, a, a you know a figurine a toy or something in here but I did find this book uh, it's by Otessa Moshfeg it's called My Year of Rest and Relaxation and uh, it came out maybe a couple years ago and it's about a woman who through uh, pharmaceutical means decides that she's going to sleep for an entire year so um I don't know. I thought that was an appropriate pick for a current uh, quarantine situation. I bet
0: that I would be down with that at least uh, for a couple of maybe weeks or maybe a month or so. But yeah. Wow. Very, very appropriate for these our plague times.
1: It reminds me of that uh, sleep study that was going around for a while where they would pay participants to lay prone for like 30 or 90 days. Uh, I had a friend who got really close to actually doing that.
3: That sounds awful. Yeah,
1: you had to lay down. That was the rule. You had to always be laying down because they wanted to see what kind of horrible things would happen to your body. Isn't that nuts?
3: I mean, bed sores basically, right? Bed sores, you
1: probably lose muscle tone. I bet because you're not walking around. But let's not end on that note. Let's end on. uh, Let's end on a big thank you. So thank you not just to Otto, but thanks to everybody for tuning in. You know, we hope you're healthy. We hope you're happy. Uh, We hope that if you are hanging out on the internet like a lot of us are these days, uh, that that you drop our digital way and say hello to us on Instagram, Facebook twitter not just as our show ridiculous history but also uh say hello to us as
0: individuals we're um we're online a lot (laughs) it's true you can find me exclusively on instagram at how now noel brown uh, where you can follow my uh quarantine situation Uh, i might be posting some of these uh ambient dreamscape guitar pieces that i've been sort of talking about here and there um so stay tuned for that on my uh, on my stories
1: And you can find me at Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter. Uh, I've been fielding a candidly, I've been fielding a lot of questions about um, prepping or uh, survival kind of situations. I'm always around to answer those. Uh, And I'm also updating uh, to the minute with developments uh, both here and at another show called strange news dailies. Do check it out. You can see my misadventures on Instagram at Ben Bolin. Uh, You know, I fell for starting to post a lot of memes. I'm sorry. You know, I know the world's in a real troubled place, but the memes, they give me light and love in troubled times, you know?
0: Same, my friend. And I always find light and love all over your stories and, uh, and your feed, my friend. Uh, and I appreciate that very much. And please do check out strange news daily, uh, for a daily dose of exactly what the, the show name implies strange news. in these are strange times. Oh man. Thank you so much. We'll, we'll see how it works out. Uh,
1: We just quick peek behind the curtain, by the way. Uh, in addition to doing our show, Ridiculous History, that's very near and dear to our hearts, uh, the three of us are continually making a ton of other shows, and we don't always shout them out because we don't, you know, uh, we want to make sure each one is special, uh, but we also we sometimes, at least for you guys, sometimes I lose track of which ones are already out and which ones are still secret. But I just want to say, and I hope you don't get mad at me about this, Noel. I just want to say that our uh, my good friend uh, Mr. Brown here has has quite a few fascinating things on the way, uh, including, of course, "Dear Young Rocker." If you haven't checked that out, give it a listen.
0: Yeah, thanks, Ben. That one just wrapped up um, in partnership with Jake Brennan, who does the wonderful rock true crime kind of hybrid show, Disgraceland. Uh, He has an imprint called Double Elvis uh, that he um, has several shows um, partnering up with us on the iHeart Podcast Network, and one of them is Dear Young Rocker with Chelsea Erson, who you saw or heard, rather, on the show uh, very recently, talking about the Ponzi scheme, the history of the Ponzi scheme. He also has another one that's really great that just came out called Citizen Critic where scott janovitz and greg Connolly uh take on uh hot takes from professional and amateur critics alike so it's a show where they critique the critics and it's quite delightful uh and that show is ongoing on the iheart podcast network as we speak last shout out
1: this is just this is a fun one and we want to mention it to you might hear it on our feed um noel you and i a while back uh When people could still travel more easily, you and I went on Food Court, uh, which is the show we appeared on, made by our good pal Christopher Hasiotis, hosted by none other than Richard Blaze. Uh, That episode is coming out or should be out soon. And I listened to it. I don't know what you thought, Noel, but I thought it was a lot of fun. It was a good time.
0: I think I may have shouted that out previously and said that it was already out. That was not true. Uh, It is now, by this point, out in the world, I think, because it comes out on Tuesday of next week, and this episode also comes out on Tuesday of next week. So they should be dropping the same exact day. Uh, We uh, debate with each other um, uh, two sides of a uh, very hot-button food issue. Um, I took the side of uh, sausage and you the side of bacon, and uh, you'll have to listen to find out who who uh, came out on top, but it's a wonderful show. Richard blaze is a fantastic host and judge. Very fair. And, uh, I was really pleased uh, that he actually followed me on Instagram and I felt like a million bucks and he's been posting all these great, um, isolation cooking videos on his stories. Oh yeah. And he was making a, uh, something called a ramen, uh, lotkey. Uh, I saw I, that. Yeah. It, it looked really, really fantastic. And he's a really sweet guy. So check out food court
1: with Richard blaze. His nachos are on point too. If you're a, if you're a food pick, uh, fanatic
0: like me. Yeah. And he, and he has a chicken restaurant called uh, Crack Shack. They, they don't have any around here, but it looks incredible. Talk about good-looking, decadent chicken sandwiches.
1: Yeah, he's, a, he's my internet buddy now. We're hoping to get him uh, on our show soon. So get a preview of our, our interaction by checking out Food Court. As always, thank you so much to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Casey, I'm going to find a book for our next quarantine spotting because I, I feel a little weird that you had something uh, amazing and literate. And I was like, Hey, look at my shoe box of toys. Uh, but, but thank you. Thank you as always for being the, uh, the, the best, uh, half of our show. I'm not good at the math. But uh, also, thank you as always to Gabe Luzier.
0: Gabe Luzier indeed, and we hope to have him on very, very soon. Thanks to Jonathan Strickland, the Notorious Quizster. Uh, I think we already thank Christopher Ossiotis in talking about food core. Huge thanks to Alex Williams who composed this very theme that you hear within your ear holes. Um, and, uh, and thanks to you, Ben, for being a pal and being a, a quarantine uh, podcast mate. Um, I, I really I look forward to these times and, and look forward to uh, keeping rolling with you sir likewise likewise
1: no uh in the in the meantime of course as always you know uh we like to think that we're our show is a community uh so if you want to contact us on on a personal level we always love to hear from you let us know how it's going in your neck of the woods and let us hey let us know what your weirdest uh food history story is we could read about this all day we'll see you next time folks